Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the show for and about conscious leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Welcome to episode 77 of Free Your Inner Guru. The numbers are really getting up there. We're closing in on 80 episodes. It's been quite a journey. I'd like to take a moment before we jump into this week's conversation to acknowledge all of the feedback that came in from the last episode with Seth Godin. First, for everyone who shared it on social media, commented, sent in emails. I'm so grateful. I love the feedback. I love when that feedback can be seen by other people. I love when you share and rate and review the podcast. It helps it grow. And for the people who were familiar or are familiar with Seth Godin, you understand that it's a big deal to have him come on this small show. And uh, and this week's guest is no different. First of all, she is a perfect follow-up to last week's conversation where a lot of the feedback that came in was about how people in their business and uh, in their creative endeavors, how that conversation last week really helped to deepen their understanding of genre and how important it is when you choose and work with a genre. And this week's guest, K.A. Tucker, has a very strong understanding of genre, and she's written in at least two of them, as we discuss in this episode. If you're not familiar with K.A., she has published 31 books and is the internationally best-selling author of the 10 Tiny Breaths and Burying Water series. He will be my ruin until it fades. Keep her safe, the simple wild, be the girl, and say you still love me. Her books have been featured in national publications, including USA Today, The Globe and Mail, Suspense Magazine, Publishers Weekly, Oprah Magazine, and First for Women. She has been nominated for the Goodreads Choice Award for Best Romance 2013 for 10 Tiny Breaths and Best Romance 2018 for The Simple Wild. Keep Her Safe made Suspense Magazine's Best of 2018 list for romantic suspense. K.A. Tucker also happens to be my sister-in-law. Every now and again, over the past three and a half years, we'd be talking about life or getting Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner ready, and business would come up and we'd get into it, and I'd say something like, you should come on the podcast. Well, after casually talking about it for that long. We finally made that happen this past summer, just as she was in the middle of a book launch. And guess what? She's in the middle of another one now. Since we recorded in the summer, there's been a few updates that I'll give you at the end because, well, she's, as I said, is very prolific in her craft. In the meantime, enjoy this conversation that alternates between all business and two sisters-in-law having a laugh, mostly at themselves, and a little bit at each other. Our guest on Free Your Inner Guru today has a not-so-coincidental last name to mine. Uh, I would like to welcome author K.A. Tucker to Free Your Inner Guru, and you're brave coming on here to be interviewed by your sister-in-law, Kathleen. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) 
I've been married to your brother long enough that I feel like I'm okay. <laughs> you feel like you'll probably survive it. I probably will. Yeah. I've survived him for this long. So I think I'll be okay. <laughs> so, and you've survived us en masse. So that's pretty, uh, pretty telling. Um, so Kathleen, it's, a, it's awesome to have you here. We've talked about doing this for ages and probably even in the measure of the number of books that you've released in this time, I was always saying to you, oh, you could come on the podcast and, and it would be really neat to talk to you from you know, a professional point of view instead of how much longer will the turkey need before it's done. <laughs> yeah. point of view. Um, but I would love to introduce everyone to you um, as someone who has been fiercely committed to your craft and then career of writing and um, I would love to go back in time and I'm not even really sure how much of this you know your story I know or remember of when you made the transition from a very corporate life into the life of an author a creator and you know your own entity so I guess we have to kind of go back to a little bit of your previous career to set the stage of, of what that was like. Yes, I started my career in in business and sales and sales strategy, and I worked at Procter and Gamble for I think ten or eleven years, and then I was at Coca Cola for a while as well. But um, about three quarters of the way through there, so around two thousand nine, so it was when my second daughter, your second niece, was born. Um, and I was at home on maternity leave and I, um, I found that pretty difficult <laughs> being at home with two kids. Um, my older one is, uh, she has autism, but as, as you obviously know, so, um, I'm kind of saying this more for everyone else listening, but, um, but we didn't know at that time that she had this diagnosis. And so, but it, it was a bit challenging. So we had the two girls at home. They were very close in age um, and it was tough. And so I was going from this corporate world, which I thrived in to being at home on maternity leave. And I, frankly, I needed an escape. And when you're on maternity leave with two little kids, you, you don't, you don't really get to go anywhere without your two little kids. So uh, at that point, it was just more of a passion project for me. I thought, you know what, I'm, I love reading. I've always loved reading. I have an idea and I'm going to just sit down and write and see what happens. And from there, it just, it just spun into something. It was an escape for me every day. I, I needed that hour or two, uh, you know, to sit down and write when the kids were sleeping or late at night. And it became something that I just absolutely loved to do. And that's, that's where it started, I guess, for writing anyway. Would it be fair to say then, uh, it sounds to me like in the beginning, it was something you did for yourself. Not, Absolutely. Not so much. I want to be an, a published author with 20 plus books and starting with that great big vision of, I want this different lifestyle and, and, you know, really in some ways the opposite of, of the way a lot of um, a lot of conversations or people's stories go, they begin with this end in mind, and you may or may not may or may not happen. Right. I had I had no plans. It was a hundred percent just for myself. And I it's, it's funny. I remember there was a point when I finished the first book, and or I should say the first draft of the first book, and I thought, you know what, I have something here. This feels real. I love this, but I this feels like something I would like other people to read. 
but I need to actually learn how to write a book at that point. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was a whole, the next stage of, of my career, but I, I had no, no intention. I mean, I, I had worked very hard for my career. I had gone to school. I'd, I had worked extremely hard to climb in the ranks within the company. And um, I, to quit all of that and go write books didn't, didn't even really enter my mind, partly because it wasn't a plan, but also because writing is, and being a creative is such a, a challenging industry and, and a career that it just didn't seem possible. It didn't seem feasible at that point. So your first book, and I don't want to get the title wrong, but I'm in my mind, it's 10 tiny breaths. Is, am I no, wrong? It was, no, it was a, it was a YA fantasy novel. It was called Anathema and it was just a fun fantasy novel that I wrote and self-published, ended up self-publishing it. Um, because after I had, so after I'd finished the first draft and realized I want to do something with this, I then realized I need to learn to do something with this. And so I spent some time basically tearing it apart, doing an online course on basically on how to revise your novel when you have a manuscript to turn it into a novel and something that people can read. And, and so that took me another, you know, half a year or so of, of, and that was a passion for me as well, because I was learning the craft at that point. And, and then from there, I did a bit of research on publishing and that's when I learned how difficult it is to get an agent, how difficult the publishing world is, how, um, you know, all of the challenges. And at that point, I think I sent a couple query letters out. I thought, you know what, I'll just try this. Rejections came back, but it didn't phase me because again, this wasn't something I was you know, chasing as a, a career really. Um, but at the same time, self-publishing was just taking off at that point. So before that, self-publishing was very much that kind of that vanity idea. It was what you did when when you couldn't get published, you went and self-published. But at, in 2011, around that time was when the market uh, was really beginning to explode and that opportunity was out there. I mean, Amazon was coming on with their, with their platform to be able to self-publish, make it easy for people. Um, and so I researched that. And then from there, I thought, well, I'm just going to do this myself because I have my career. This is my fun passion project. Why wouldn't I do this myself? So I hired the editor. I hired the cover artist. I did all of that, which again was, was enjoyable, partly because of my business background. So for me to be able to learn an entirely new industry in that way was, was exciting. And yeah, and then I, and then I went and self-published it and I just put it out there and, and kind of learned learned how, as I went. And how were the results of uh, doing it that way? Like, did you sell many of those first books? How did it, obviously yeah, it led to a second I, book, but because yeah, there's... I mean, I, I it, right around that time as well. So again, it was a self-publishing industry was exploding. The, the online blogger industry was exploding at that point. So that's where I became or began creating connections with bloggers. Um, and that, that, that's a whole other you know, world. And so the bloggers were the readers who were out there championing my books. And, and so from there, yes, I wrote three, three books, just self-published them. And then the fourth book was 10 Tiny Breaths. Ah. And that one exploded. Basically, I put that out there, completely different genre. It was contemporary romance. I wrote it and I, and I put it out there. And then that's what led to an offer from an, for an agent representation and a publisher coming to me with an offer. So, and that's when I had to make that decision of, you know, that I love doing this. I, there's no way that I can continue with a career that I have. And 
and write, which is the career that I now realize I want, and be a mom. So one of these things has to give. Obviously, mom is not going to give. And I love the writing. And if I can make something of it, it just brought me that much more joy and, and fulfillment than, than the other side, the career, the sales side. So let's talk about genre for, for a few minutes. You changed genres. You started off in young adult fantasy and yeah. then you made a conscious decision to, to choose genre. And, and that one has either stuck or developed over the years. So what was that like for you? For me, I've always been, as a reader, I've always been very eclectic and I, I enjoy every genre. I enjoy all genres. And, and so for me, it was, it's always been more about getting an idea and going with it. Um, and when I came up with the storyline for Tiny, Tiny Breaths, that was contemporary romance. Again, self-publishing with romance, that's a great place to go. If you want to start with self-publishing in any genre, romance is one. Um, and so that was kind of a, a conscious decision in, in one way, because I thought, you know what, this, I can really build my platform this way. There's only so far I can go with a young adult fantasy. And even today, when you look at the, the publishing industry, um, people are typically traditionally published or writing fantasy. You can still do extremely well as an indie writer do, writing fantasy and publish self-publishing fantasy, but in YA, but it's typically... Um, it's typically books that are going to be in bookstores, right? That's where your mm-hmm. your young adults are going to pick up. They're not necessarily e-readers. They're typically paperback readers and hardback readers. So it, it became a bit of understanding the market, which has frankly has changed from 2012 to now. So, but it's really about understanding, following, keeping up with the market. And when people hear um, young adult or YA, what's the typical... Um, demographic of that reader. And I've got a follow-up question that after. So just... Sure. It's 13, 13 to 17 is usually the young adult. Okay. And then, so I have been to a number of your book launches or signings at say chapters or Indigo here in, in Toronto. And, and the people who are there looking for you to sign the books, they are not 13 to 17 years old. There's many people there who are quite frankly, my age, and I'm more than a decade chronologically older than you. Right. So, well, so 10 tiny breaths was not young adult. (laughs) It was definitely not that that was going moving into the new adult and adult, frankly. Um, And then beyond that, I've pretty much written all kind of, I would call it adult um, books. Some of them are much more young and flirty, you know, that 18 to in the twenties and some of them are a little bit older, right? thirties and, and such. So, um, but I would say that there are, there, there are a lot of adult readers who read young adult, um, you know, especially fantasy, I would say not the romance, but the fantasy. So, so when you're, and I'm having kind of a fun memory right now, um, but when you left corporate life for the sort of for the author life, that's a big change for your household, your your kids, your your husband, your family. And how what was that? What was that like? Like putting your stake in the in the ground and saying, "Yeah, I've been over here doing this all this time, really, really well and successfully, and now I'm going over here." What was that like for you? It was it was a big 
you know what, in one sense, it was a huge shock for me. And then in another, it was just, it was a no brainer. It was, it was one of the easiest decisions I've ever had to make. Um, because I, at that point I knew what I wanted to do and, and selling, you know, Coca-Cola and soap and Pampers and, and you know, whatnot, as great of a career as that was, it didn't bring me, it didn't bring me joy at all. Um, whereas writing and working for myself as well, that's another, uh, you know, there's the, the writing aspect, the creative aspect, but then there's also the business aspect of, of this that I'm thriving in. I thrive working for myself. Um, so there was just so many elements to this that, that just made sense. And frankly, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I I had a great offer from the publisher. So I was set up to be able to make that move. Um, I, would I have left my job before I had that publisher's offer? No. Um, I would have had to have a few more self-published books under my belt and, and have some income, some reliable income coming in. Um, so I, you know, it was a huge jump, but I also, I made it in a smart way. I feel because I had that publisher's deal. And you were already doing, you were already doing the work Like you had already, um, you had, you'd already developed the discipline and practice of showing up every day yeah. as an author. Yes. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was, it was exhausting. I'm not going to lie because I was, you're running that. And that's when I said, I knew that I had to make a decision. I could not do all of those things because that side of my life was taking off. There's just no way that I could do any of it well if I attempted to do it all. So it was at that point, a matter of deciding what really is important to me. What do I want to be doing in 20 years, 30 years when I look back on my life? You know, and it's funny, um, I remember because I had left Coca-Cola and I had only been there for nine months or 10 months. And uh, it was a bit of a, I've just, you know, signed the ink on the contract. Here's my two weeks notice because I have a book due in six weeks kind of thing with, with Coke and, um, and all of the managers there, when I told them, they did say, you know what, we don't blame you. Like, of course, of course you're going to take this deal. Like this is, this is fantastic. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So that it was nice to hear that, um, that people recognized and how special that was that opportunity was yeah yeah that and okay so the, I know it's not it's not related to you being at coke but I can't think of uh, coca-cola without thinking of my dad <laughs> I know which is so weird <laughs> which is so weird right so and and just for sort of historical perspective my dad um who's no longer with us but my dad worked at coca-cola and and I went to work there when I was a kid in their offices at, and for summer yeah. job and my gap year between high school and, and university and so that was coincidental but it brings him to mind as a perfect example of somebody who's an avid reader an avid reader of of fantasy and who read all of your your yeah. books and then was like he, my number one fan he totally was and then he stopped calling her Kathleen it was, <laughs> which I'm not sure, let the record show, I'm not sure you're that fond of, but, <laughs> no. but he, he would be like, K-A, and then, and then launch in, but, and then when you switch genre into the romance, and you write romance really, really well, and that includes writing sex scenes, I remember my dad just being so 
discombobulated about the whole thing. <laughs> I, I just, I went into denial. I'm like, he's not reading any of this. It's just, it can't happen. So I just <laughs> assume he didn't read anything after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I happen to know different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh my God, he would be so, so, so excited for you in terms of, of how you've done. And, and, and just to kind of bring forward into the present, um, you were talking about the challenges of being home alone with, or well, I guess you were at home alone because Paul was working um, full-time corporate in those years as well um, with the two kids. And we're in the middle of the pandemic and oh, right. everybody's oh, yes. been at home with their kids. Yeah, And just this, before we got in on here, we were catching up about like, how's it's going? And, and we were talking about, oh, it's like, I feel like I'm pushing against the environment all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and you, you had to deal with that, I guess, kind of throughout your career. Yeah. Um, and it can, it can get really hard sometimes uh, some, because any, this would be the case for anyone who's self-employed. Um, it's very easy to for everything else to become a priority over me saying, you know what, I need to sit down and write. I need, and, and I can't do it for one or two hours. It's not that's not how I write. I have to sit down for large blocks of time and really get my head into it for five, six hours, and and um, it, it can be difficult. And I think you, you start to learn. For me, anyway, I've learned what works for me, what doesn't work for me. Uh, you know, times of the day where I'm most productive. And I've, I have a sign on my door now, basically, I, I had to put it up with the pandemic, right, where it basically says, unless you're bleeding, do not knock on this door. Because I, I if you know, if the door is closed, put it that way, if my door is closed, you don't come here. You, you know, if you're hungry, you go, you get your own sandwich, you figure it out, you're old enough, you figure it out. My kids are not three and four, I'm not letting them run around with knives and scissors downstairs, right? So they can figure it out. But um, it, it can get, yes, it can, it's a balance It's a constant, constant balance, balancing act. Um, and for six years, I was under contract with my publisher, because I signed several contracts with them, back to back to back. And writing under a contract is under deadline is extremely tough. And I didn't realize how tough it was until I wrote my last book and handed in and was no longer under contract. And it's unbelievable the um, the pressure that has come off of my shoulders now. So I'm not in a rush to go back in under contract at this point. So yeah, let's talk about that because a publisher contract is something that would be highly desirable as, as you found it very beneficial in terms of being able to leave, um, leave Coke and, and go or leave corporate and, and go and do that full time. Um, but you more recently did decide to go back to self-publishing. So yes, for, for now. So what informed that decision? If you're cool sharing that and, and, because I think a lot of people, and maybe we're we're just all geared differently. I'm not necessarily saying me, but for some people, having a hard deadline and that accountability would be the thing that gets it done. Yeah, and that for me, that is the case. Having a deadline, and and mind you, now I can set. I do still set my own deadlines because now I have editors I have to hire, and 
and I have to respect their their calendars basically, right? So I do still end up with deadlines and and I do that that makes me tick. I need a deadline. Um so for me so to step back for one one piece or one second, um I would say when you're writing a book and you're trying to get a publisher or to sell to a publisher, typically you would have the whole book finished and you would write your book and then you would, your agent would take it out and shop it. Um, and that's kind of where I want to be now going forward because for a good stretch there, which again was, was fantastic and it allowed me to build up a platform and, 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 and a backlist but I was writing two deadlines. So I was, I was selling in ideas basically. And I would sell in three or four ideas and, and, or one idea and we would sign a four book contract. And so I would have to write four books for, to that publisher and, and, and they weren't written. And so, and you'd be like, okay, for the next two years, you were, you were, here's all your dates and gates. And, you know, right now, for example, being in the pandemic, if this had happened back then, I'm not sure what I would have done because, and to be fair, the publisher would have, totally understood and said, yes, you know, we can push it, we can move it. Um, they were fantastic in that. Um, but it's, it's still, it's like writing with a gun to your head, basically knowing in three months you have to have this book done or in four Mm. or six months you have to have this done and it's, it's challenging. So, um, that being said, now going forward, my plan is depending on what genre I'm writing in, so for example, thrillers or suspense, I would want that traditionally published, but I would want to finish that book. I, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go back to that, that stress of kind of the, the deadline, looming deadline. Like selling the proposal, then working the, the deadline, you want to go out with a completed book. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, and and it took me, you know, it took me six years of of being in one contract to the next and the next, and then being, stepping out of that. And I'm also in a position of when I can, I can make that choice um, because I have enough of a platform that I can self-publish something and I can, I can sell books that way. Um, and I can, so I can support my family basically. So while, you know, I have a thriller that I started last year and, and I'm not done it <laughs> and eventually I'll start writing it again this year and maybe I'll finish it next year. And then from there we can take it out and try and, and see if somebody's interested in it, shop it around. Um, but it's not the same pressure as saying you have to write this and it has to be done in six months or five months and, and, and go <laughs> basically. Yeah. And I think what's coming across to me, um, is that it's all would be all well and good to be under that pressure, but then you must knowing you and given the amount of, of how prolific you have been as a writer in that period of time, you're getting other ideas for other books that, that may call you or have, you may have more energy or creative energy uh, or every other kind of energy for it, but you're over here doing this, instead and that's not all that different that makes it work versus creation yeah and that's in that like I'm I am not special or unique in that that happens I swear every writer friend that I have will tell you the exact same thing happens where they sit down to write one book and they want to write something else so it's it's just one of those and then when you have four of those that you have to write back to back to back um it does it you're right exactly it becomes a job it becomes comes work you're in the middle of a book launch now or you just launched last week so how has that been different for you coming out 
the other end of being under contract and building all these years? Um, well, I've, I've always been fairly open with readers. I find that, you know, them knowing what I'm working on, um, they, they get excited, which is fantastic. And I do like to let them know what I'm working on. Um, sometimes I'll share a teaser. Sometimes I'll share little like, you know, ideas. Sometimes I keep everything really close to my chest. And I did that with wild at heart because frankly, I was, petrified that the book would be terrible because the first book, The Simple Wild, did so well. Um, and it, it's, just, it's had such a great readership. The readers have really, really, really loved it. And I think they were as paranoid that a sequel would be terrible as I was paranoid that the sequel would be terrible. So I kept it very close to my chest to what it was, what, what it was about. And uh, to the point where I didn't even release a description until I think a month or so before the book released. And that, at that point, the book was pretty much done. Um, so, but actually, I, I don't, I think that might've got them more interested in what, what was going on and what was happening. Um, I, for me, I mean, them readers knowing that I'm writing something, it, it does, they get excited and then I'm happy that they're excited because I, I obviously want to write books that they want to read. That's, that's why I'm here. I mean, as much as I, I write for myself in the sense that I write, I write what I want to write. Um, I won't write necessarily what they want me to write. I'll, I'll tell, I'll give them a story that I think they're going to enjoy, but I'm, I have to enjoy writing it. Um, so, but yeah, so having them excited and eager to read is it, it, it fuels me and I do need to write every day. So your point about that, it being a muscle and, and being habit, it's hundred percent accurate um, I'm on a little bit of a break now. I do need to get into writing again soon. But even being away for a week or two, it just getting those first few days in of me sitting down back into the habit of focusing and writing every day is it's tough. And then once I get into it, I'm in a rhythm. And then after a week or two, I'm fine. But I have to get there and and I'm procrastinating in the last couple of days, but I've also been busy with the book release. But um, but yeah, it's hundred percent a, it's a muscle that you have to, and it's a, it's a rhythm. Do you find if you go, and I'm not sure you have gone quiet for prolonged periods, but, um, this is a little bit of the struggle that I'm having right now is I started out the year, um, with the intention to release a very short blog every day and also sustain the podcast. And then I got into this, this program where I started writing the memoir and it was, I was writing every day, but it was very easy to lose momentum because it was, it was too, all the things. It's too much. It's too much because you're looking at, you're looking at a create creating and then marketing and you're looking at it as creating in a business. And I mean, I can, I can spend all day, every day doing business stuff, marketing stuff, all of the business stuff. I can do that but then I won't get any writing done. And then, you know, where am I at? So I have to prioritize and focus on the writing. Um, and so I might, I'll share snippets. I, for me, what works is Instagram. I love Instagram as a platform. that's very easy for me to use. Um, and that's kind of my number one platform. I don't use all of them. Twitter. I, I cannot stand Twitter. Me personally, that's a personal thing. Um, some people love it and it's, and it's very good for building relationships and that's fantastic, but each platform actually is very different. Uh, it serves a different purpose. And so Twitter, you're not necessarily going to 
for, for me, selling books is obviously important. You're not going to sell books with Twitter. Um, but Instagram just feels more organic for me and I've just gravitated towards it and, um, it's been beneficial for me. And so I will spend, you know, 20 minutes or, or, or whatever a day or 15 minutes a day, something very simple, but so that I'm there, I'm, I'm still relevant in my, my head. I'm posting something. People are seeing something from me, but it's not taking four hours for me to, to write, um, you know, a very long post or, or anything like that because I know that I can't do that. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's almost like, like when you were describing the business side versus the creative side, it's like the left brain, right brain, you know, yes. jumping back and forth from one to the other. I know I've always, I've always found it a lot safer on the left brain side doing the, you know, the, the facts, the figures, the strategy, the, this and that, but, and then, but the joy and the passion and the things that could actually make a difference really are coming from the more creative side and bringing, bringing the two of them together is, is the ideal. Right. But I think from the point of view of you're such a, you're such an experienced, um, experienced writer I think it's refreshing for someone like me or to be listening here and, oh yeah, like even, a, um, I don't want to age you, but like even a veteran writer is, is experiencing these challenges and having to navigate them day to day, week to week, month to month and book to book. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can get, you can, and you can get sucked in very easily. I can, I, I can go on to my computer in the morning and all of a sudden three hours are gone. I have no idea where they've gone. They've gone to Facebook and, and, you know, checking stats and this and that and everything else. So um, there is definitely an element of discipline there of knowing, um, you know, what, what your, where your pitfalls can be and, and trying to avoid them. <laughs> um. Another thing that has, uh, so thank you for that. And I'm going to actually take some of that to, for myself because I'm at this weird place as, as we were talking about before we hit record, where there's this big podcast coming out that shares a lot of my story, a shocking amount actually. And I'm over here doing the memoir thing and I haven't been showing it. I had, and now to start showing it and talking about it outside of the protected environment of that course is it's a leap. It's a very uncomfortable leap for me. And, and, and it's a leap that needs to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. And you just, you start, I mean, I still remember when I, when I published my very first book and I hadn't told anyone, Paul, Paul knew that I was writing obviously because married to him. So he knew I was writing, but nobody else knew. Nobody in my family, nobody. And I just put it out there. And then I posted something on Facebook or I think Facebook was pretty much the only thing back then. There was no, yeah, there was no Twitter, no Instagram, nothing like that. And I just said, yeah, I wrote a book here. And you know, if you want to read it, and then uh, that was it. And, but even just doing that was so difficult, so difficult, but you just, you just have to leap at some point. As your um, career has evolved as, and you have a platform, one of the things that I notice is you've become increasingly vocal online um, to support issues that you care about. What's, what's that been like for you? Um, you know what? 
a lot of people, definitely creatives, any any sort of public figure, any writer, anyone is is constantly told or has been constantly told, don't don't say anything. Keep your opinions to yourself. We're here about we want to hear read your books and that's it. We don't want to hear about your opinions. We don't want to hear anything. Um, and you know, some people abide by that. Um, I also personally, I've, I don't enjoy confrontation in any way, shape or form. Um, and so I've always made, made it an or made an effort to kind of, you know, just stay, I don't want to offend people. You know, there's so many different personalities. There's so many different viewpoints. There's so much everything that, um, that I, I've never wanted to offend people, but um, just with the world's what's been going on with the world's lately, especially, I just gotten to the point where I I can't stay completely quiet anymore, and I feel like if I have a platform, why would I not potentially share um, some of my viewpoints? Now I try not I try to not go overboard. I mean, there's some people who are that's that's what they talk about. And that's that's when you get into the Twitter world. That's where people just go there. Basically, I feel like to be angry. Um, so, you know, there are, there are those people who get very, very passionate, which is fine. And they want to share their opinions and they want to scream and shout. Um, I'm not that person, but I feel like every once in a while, there might be something going on that I might be able to say something that would resonate with a person, with somebody. I mean, in the past, I've never been shy about talking about uh, autism, children with autism, obviously, because I have personal experience with that. And um, a lot of people don't, but a lot of people do. And so if I can actually say something or do something that might make them, that might resonate with them or, or, um, you know, bring them some comfort that they're not alone, then I want to be able to to help and say that, say something in that way. Um, You know, and obviously with a lot of, a lot of what's been happening lately in the U S my market is um, predominantly U S and so everything in my social media feed is all about all about the states and, um, you know, whether it's political, whether it's um, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is not really just the U.S., that's worldwide. Um, you know, there's there's always, to me, opportunities to maybe to make a, a stance and say something. And it, it got to the point for me where it felt wrong to not say something. And that's where I would say something. Would you characterize that as you felt a sense of responsibility then? Like the sense of responsibility became greater than the desire to not rock the boat or stay neutral. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I am generally, I like to be neutral, but, but it's which the point where this is, this is beyond, you know, politics. This is beyond anything. This is, you know, human rights. I have readers of all ages of all races and I want to be able to show my support for them. Um, you know, and that's the gets to the point where, you know, I will say something now and then, but then there's also the element of me being able to share. So especially in the, over the last few weeks, there's been all kinds of really interesting and um, important articles, uh, history lessons, everything. So for me to, to be able to read through it, first of all, because I always, I always read through things before I share them. That's kind of like a golden rule. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to read and then share, and then with anyone, any of my platform or any of my people that are following me, um, might, might resonate with them or might educate them, might help them open their eyes. Why would I not do that? Even I, I, just before I went, uh, I think we spoke actually just before I wrote my article and did my podcast 
taking my public stand because I was, um, I was, I wasn't struggling with the issue at all. I was struggling with, is it my place? Right. You know, and, and there was a bit of that going on, but I was by longtime listeners of the podcast will have already heard the interview that I just recorded yesterday with a gentleman named Charles Wilson. And he was behind the scenes reading my, um, what I wrote. Um, and he's, he's a, a black man um, living in Las Vegas, uh, plays, uh, composes, doesn't just play the piano, but very successful in the entertainment industry. And, and it was, it was so um, not, I guess I did need the validation because I didn't want to put out something that was like, Oh, Hey, you white lady. Yeah. You were, you know, when it's really a time to share the microphone and, and to listen, like to listen and read and take things in, but knowing about the wondering podcast and knowing about potential media coming up, I felt like anyone who comes across any of my plat my platforms, you know, politically, it's not hard to figure out where I land. I land left, yeah. right? But, and just from how I speak, the guests I have, all of that. But I didn't want there to be any, any doubt whatsoever to newcomers that there would be any cowardice or hesitation to take a stand just to be neutral. Right, right. There's There's times to be you know, there's times to be neutral there or there's times to provide, um, you know, maybe a voice that is more educational than anything else. And then there's times to, to take a stand. And this, this was a no brainer. Like the, I mean, when I say this, I mean the black lives matter movement, um, just everything that's been happening lately. And it's, it's been, it's been tough. The world has been tough the last few months between the pandemic and, and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I know I'm tired, you yeah. know, like it's this, um, and those are some of the things in my line of work I can, I can speak to more as, as things, you know, um, new normalize, right? Like old, yeah. no, old normal, I don't think exists. And, and it, and I think that's okay. I'm not looking forward to the economic climate that we're going to be, Stuff yeah. With. yeah. Um, by any sense, I do feel some comfort in having been able to thrive and really support people during the Great Recession. And, right. and you know, so all the more called to keep showing up and not get lost in issues or stories or any distracted from that as a goal. But I really feel like we're all being called to become more self-aware more yeah. aware of each other, you know, and more empathetic and to really consider taking a stand for a different kind of leadership and not let, because the status quo has really got us where we're, where we are. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's, it's the writing community has been interesting and, and, and I don't know how in, obviously I'm in tune with, with what writers are saying, but there are writers who, you know, are sitting there thinking, do I, you know, do I, do I change my books now do, going forward? Should they all be wearing masks and, and, um, you know, and socially distancing, should I all, you know, is this a dystopian world now? Is this, you know, it, it's, it's funny how, how everything has impacted. It can even, it is even impacting people create creatively, creatively. Why can't I say that word? <laughs> 
can edit that part out. <laughs> I might, I might not. <laughs> but you're st- I, I probably won't just because it's so important. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and it seems so, it seems so silly in a way when you think about it, but, but at the same time, there are, there are people out there who are genuinely writers who are genuinely blocked right now because of, of that. Um, you know, as fiction writers, um, it's just, every, so, I mean, what, when I bring this up, I mean, all of our external, all of our environment, how, how it can impact you. I would, the book that I just released, I actually had to stop writing it back in February. I think it was February or March. I had to just put it down for a week or two. And I thought, you know what, I might, I might not even finish this because it was so fluffy. And so like, it was a, it's a contemporary romance. It's a fun, flirty book. Um, and I, I thought I can't write this. There's people, there are people dying out there right now. How do I write this book? I can't, I don't care about any of these characters. I don't care about anything that's going on in this book. I literally had to put it down because of my environment around me. And, and I had to make a conscious choice, um, you know, to do that. So it's, yeah, the environment is, can be, you, you have to pivot, you have to make choices, you have to, I mean, you can't, we can't control what's going on around you, but you have to react and assert, decide how you're going to react to it. Absolutely. And I, you're totally in my wheelhouse now too, because that one of the things that I'm often, that I'm often coaching around or um, have content and programs around is environment always wins, right. which is a daunting, daunting thing right now because our environment has been giving us an ass kicking like an invisible ass kicking that there's so many metaphors at play. And I don't even feel ready at this point to be talking about or writing or producing content about those things because we're still, we're still in it and and figuring it out. But when you look at um, like, there's so much, we so little that we can control and we've been shown that, but that doesn't mean that we can't exercise influence and discernment moment to moment and and be moving moving forward with more of an understanding of a delayed gratification like we're all being asked for delayed gratification which I think a lot of people lost have lost touch with oh yeah well I mean you you can't see my gray roots here but trust me they're there (laughs) so so I'm going to be very gratified when those get fixed I'm, I'm actually, it's interesting because uh, I've had to, I've had to, I've written um, the chapter of my book where I shaved my head in 2009 at the spiritual. Did you write that already? I you did. Wrote I wrote it first. Okay. That would have been the, probably a hard one. Um, I, there hasn't been an easy one yet, to be honest. You know, so I jumped, I, I jumped right in there in February and I was like, I just had to get it out. And, uh, and then I wrote, um, I wrote the sweat lodge up to the point where we were in and sat down. And, and then I just, I couldn't continue um, at that time with it because, oh, I think I was on vacation, to be honest. And then because we were away and I was writing this in, from Hawaii. So I was like, all right, I'm not doing that while I'm on vacation. And then we came home March 8th and pandemic hit. And I was just like, I can't go there the irony is now that I've heard the Wondery Guru podcast description of it I'm not sure I can do a better job writing it than they have putting together that scene it's actually 
tremendous research for me <laughs> to be able to go to once it's more publicly available and draw the draw a more rounded narrative because it's more than one voice describing it, not just my spotty memory. That's that's another challenge with it. But you know, coming we kind of went down the hair rabbit hole here. Yeah, but, we do that. <laughs> yeah, women do that. But hair is such a huge part of my story. Right? Yeah. That that it is, it's, it fits somehow in terms of, you know, I'm at the point now, pandemic, like I came home and that was the last thing I did before the things shut down was because I'd already grown out. And now I'm almost regretful that I did it because I might be on the verge of, of not coloring it. Of just of letting it, letting go. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing what that could be like, because I've seen online some examples of um, you know, of silver haired women in their fifties, um, who have let it go and they've not let it go. It looks amazing. So there's still that vanity ass. I'm not letting it go to let it go. It's like, what if, what if I didn't have to, for every six weeks, sit for three hours in a freaking chair? Well, I, I know for a fact, I am not ready to do it. And I've, I've proven it to myself because you're too young. <laughs> First of all, let's not forget that. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, it's interesting times for sure. And how, how is it, um, you know, you've got it, you've got an, do you go with names or thing one and thing two? What's your, what's your public thing? So, I mean, when I, I'm on social media, I always say thing one, thing two. I'm not, obviously that's a bit weird to say that here. And I, and I. Oh, we can do thing one. That's fine. So thing one, this is public. This is a public conversation. So I wanted. It's one of those weird things where I feel like if I, if I'm always addressing my kids by their name, then strangers will address them by their name. And to me, I, I, it make, that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, so Yeah. Yeah. So no, let's stay. I want to, I want to honor that. That's um, they're my nieces and I want their, if you want their privacy um, intact, I want their privacy intact and uh, let alone safety. So um, you're at home with thing one and thing two who couldn't be more different from each other. Mm-hmm. Thing, thing one um this feels weird for me to talk about them as thing one yeah. and thing two, but <laughs> that's thing, why I was saying, I'm like, yeah, no, no it's fine. <laughs> so thing, thing, thing one is my goddaughter and yeah. she was born while I was still living out West and, and I came back to meet her when you were still in your townhouse and still that was your that's first right. maternity. That's right. right? And yeah. And guitar hero Christmas and and uh, oh she was such an easy baby I think we had her in the sling and we were playing guitar hero with her in the sling I think <laughs> and now all these years later so so she she has she's on the spectrum for autism yep. mm-hmm. and thing two is you know where thing one is tall thing two is very tiny and compact yeah. um, where thing one has autism um, thing two is probably at the far high end of, of IQ and athletic ability. Yeah. So coordination and yeah, everything. Yeah. She's her dad. Yeah. 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 I know. I used to kind of hate him when he was young. Just <laughs> <at> everything. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So you're, you're, you're at home with the, the two girls and 
like so, so many other people right now for the foreseeable will be. What have been some things that you have, um, you shared about the the door and the, the sign on the door in order to maintain your sanity and be productive? What are some things you've had to do either for self-care or for fun or how are you navigating this as a multifaceted human being? Um, yeah. So I would say, so normally I, I was, I, I love my routine and I work in my office and, I, and that's what I love. And I would send them off to school and then I'd get my coffee and my breakfast and I'd sit down in front of the computer and do my marketing and whatnot. And then I'd work from you know 10 till two, I would write. And obviously that, that has completely been derailed. And so, um, you know, now that they're home, we got in, basically I've, 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 given myself grace. I've given, I've, I've said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be productive with work in the morning. Um, and I, I sit down and I, you know, we focus on schoolwork and, you know, we do what we can in the morning, obviously, you know, thing two, she's pretty self-sufficient thing. One I need to sit down with, and I'm learning all about grade seven, uh, you know, history and science and math and everything all over again, which is so much, so not, not what I want to be doing, but whatever (laughs) is what it is. Um, so, you know, yeah, we've, we've, my biggest thing has been giving myself, uh, what's the word, just allowing myself to, to not, to not be as productive as I normally am. I mean, I had to, I had to make changes. I had to push a release and then at my editor back twice for the book that I just released. And that is a very stressful thing for me to do. Um, but I, I said, you know what, I, this is, this is what it is. This is what we're going to have to do. And, and this is how I'm going to be able to cope because I, I won't be able to deliver on this deadline with all of all of this coming out. And so I had to, I had to pivot. I had to change my, my plan. Um, and I did that. So that was, that was a big element for me um, to manage was just accepting that it was not going to, things were not going to work the way that I normally allow them to work or want them to work. Um, and I mean, we've worked in the mornings. I work with the girls in the morning and then Paul comes home and he, he gets some of the other subjects and, you know, the, the music and the dance and the, and science and some of the history and stuff. So I focused on the literacy and the math in the morning. Um, and, and we were just joking about it before, but I mean, thing one is basically done science and history now there it's not happening anymore she's done for the year (laughs) so we've we've you know we've had to and this school's been great the teachers have been great with saying okay we understand just do what you can do um it it all comes down to a lot of a bit of a lot of forgiveness for myself I guess that's that's what I've had to do I, I mean I know that sounds a little bit silly maybe but um, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I think as any self, um, a, a self-employed person, anyone who's running their own schedule, um, you know, and if, if you're a type A person, I'm a type A person. Um, if you like to hit your, your goals and your targets, uh, you know, you set, you set expectations for yourself and you want to hit them. And, um, and I get very frustrated if I don't. And, but in, in this world and in this environment, I have not been able to do that. And I've accepted it. I love what you've said there. And 
you know, it's, it's the idea there's nothing soft or silly or weak about giving yourself some grace, practicing some forgiveness, and then figuring out how to navigate. You know, that's very much, you know, even in normal times, you know, I've, I've emerged with, you know, my, my summer of self-care and winter of self-care programs, because for me, that, uh, and that was the path to being able to come back after such a horrifying experience of handling basically personal trauma and collective trauma, and then having to navigate as, as a functioning human being. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I was very, um, very moved to start up my leadership community because I saw, um, you know, I saw the collective trauma that was happening or about to happen. And, you know, it was reminiscent of, um, the recession, but it was harder, faster and included everybody at once. So, right. Yeah. There's real power in that because that's what allows you to move forward, you know, to let some of it go and, and focus in on what's really important. Absolutely. Well, and, and I mean, my goals are still the same. I still have the same goals. It's just, you have to, you've defined another path to get there and it might be a longer path, but, um, but you can still get there. And so that, that's very much me. I'm a planner. I like to plan and I like, I like to have, see where I'm going, except apparently when I'm writing, cause I have no clue where I'm going most of the time. But, um, but yeah, so I have to, I just had to change things. Um, oh man, I wish that had come up earlier. Let's loop back around to the writing just a little bit. Sure. Um, I've heard that before and I've seen it in you when you say sometimes on social media and Instagram, you know, I'm writing this, I have no idea where I'm going, this and that. And for me, um, that is like, what? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> that's, my brain doesn't work that way, but I'm also not writing fiction. So right. right. Well, that makes it completely different. But actually, I have no freaking idea where I'm going right now. I'm stuck in grade eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so cool. What the hell am I saying? It's just different, right? So yeah. Um, I know at some point I know where it needs to go. <laughs> right. I'm you have a target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do you when you so does that imply like do you write a lot of stuff that doesn't end up being used? Is it circuitous? Is that editing or what the heck? So no, I, well, so some people are planners, um, you know, and they'll, they'll have an outline and some people can sit there and they will outline. I read somebody, somebody wanted some, uh, like some critique advice and, and another author. And so she sent me this, her outline and it was like 22 pages long and it was beautiful. And I read through this outline and, and it was basically the book. I, I, I read the book and it was 22 pages. And I thought, how do you do this? Because I can't do this. Um, I, I, I create as I go. And so the characters come to life for me and the story comes to life as I sit down and I'm writing them. I have absolutely no clue where I'm going usually. Um, Mind you, after 20 something books, I have started to, I found an outlining method that works for me. And it's a very, very loose outlining method, but it's one that allows me to have some clue as to where I'm going to end up because I was starting these books, basically, you know, it's almost like having a bow and arrow and just shooting it randomly out, out, out there and having no clue where I have no target. I have no idea where it's hitting. That's how I started my books before. Um, 
now I do start with outlines, but most of the time uh, the book changes completely. If I were to look, even the last books that I wrote, if I were to look at the outline of what I wrote and, and uh, the outline versus what the book actually, like what happened, they're different. They're always yeah. different. But yeah, I, I, I've written myself in, into corners before, which is never fun. Um, but I, I'm the type of person that I have to, the story doesn't come to life till I'm writing it. So I have no clue when I sit down in the morning, I might have no clue where I'm going that day. So from the time that you stop, so you, as your daily practice of writing, from the time that you stop writing to say, let's call it, I'm sure it's not always the afternoon. I'm, I'm, I, I haven't known you as a bit of a night howl, but by the time you stop the writing and start up again the next day, is it on your mind? Like, are you ruminating and, and yeah. pondering it in between? Or is it like an open it? You've already answered. So yes, it doesn't, it's developing as you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's constantly, and it's funny, um, especially if I'm on deadline, because I, I typically write on deadline and I'm, and usually always write to the wire with the editor before I can send it in. And in those last few, you know, call it a week or two before it has to be finished, my brain is so going, so it's constantly going uh, to the point where I, I have, I have night terrors. And that's, that's when you always know when my brain is constantly going, this only ever started when I was started writing. And I, and so around a deadline, I will have night terrors. And I mean, it scares Paul to hell. <laughs> it's never, never a good thing for him, poor guy. But, um, but that's when I know because my brain does not shut down. And so it's just constantly spinning. And, um, and yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of a, a crazy time. And you've just, you've learned that that's, that's part of your process. It's not something yeah. that, because there's, I'm sure like there's part of me that wants to start that. Well, do you meditate and this and that and everything else? But it's like, this is a part of your, your process is this yep. disruption to sleep as it's coming together. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's, I would, like I said, I've, I've tried every, I've tried so many different kinds of outlines. I found one that does work, but it's because it works because it's still extremely loose and my brain, will, um, I still have room to be creative and come up, let it go as, as I'm writing. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not fun. Deadline time is not fun in this house, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, you know, I, I always, I always get there and it is it's exactly, it's part of my process. I can't change it. Um, it's just, it is what it is. This has been absolutely, it's fascinating. And I'm so, I'm so glad that we did this because it gives a different insight into your, your creative life and, um, and, and how that integrates into your, your family life. Before we wrap up, tell us a bit about your most recent book and, uh, and maybe if somebody was learning about you for the first time as an author, um, books that you're super proud of and would be a really good first hook if it's not one and the same. Sure. Well, I would say, I mean, so the last one I wrote, I write, I mean, I write contemporary romance mainly, but I also write women's fiction. I've written some suspense and thriller, got a couple YAs in there. So I'm quite eclectic with everything. Um, I would, the, the latest one I wrote is just called the player next door. It's just like a fun, flirty contemporary romance. Um, it's, it was meant to be an escape for contemporary romance lovers. Um, right now, especially just with the environment, it's a good summer read, I would call it. 
Um, if you were to read, if you were to pick up your first book of mine, I would say the the best one would probably be The Simple Wilds. That's that's a kind of a contemporary uh, romance women's fiction blend, and uh, that has that's been that's been an exciting book for me. And I've actually written a second one, the sequel, which came out in February called Wild at Heart. Which I haven't read yet, but I will I will vouch for the simple wild. I had the very strange experience of finishing it, <laughs> sat on a lawn chair next to you at your cottage. Right. And I was, was bawling. That's it's an emotional book. I, I mean it, I don't I'm not an emotional person at all. You know me. And, uh, and I'm not an emotional writer at all, but that book was difficult to write. So I'm here to say that she can do it. And, uh, and that's what was so it it was a poignant moment. I I don't know if you remember it, but I finished it. I had tears coming down my face and I turned to you. I was like, Oh, Kathleen, you just made me cry. Well, I was sitting there thinking, uh, she's reading my book right beside me. This is weird. (laughs) What kind of alternate universe? It's like, look what I brought to finish. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, what a a joy and a privilege to have you on. And I'm so, I'm very grateful that in the middle of the launch, you've come on here and I'm excited to introduce you to um, the listeners here and, and, and my audience. And, and I hope that yours will enjoy hearing this side of you. They might, I don't know. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they probably will. (laughs) (laughs) Take care and say hi to thing one, two and Paul for me. (laughs) I will. Awesome. Bye. Bye. If you would like to connect with Kathleen online or check out some of her books, I've left links to pretty much everything that we talked about in the show notes. You'll be able to click on over to her Instagram page and any number of the books. When we recorded this was mid-June and in that time there's been a number of changes and updates. Kathleen is in the middle of her next book launch. She is releasing Forever Wild, the third in the three-part series called The Simple Wild. And that's the one we were talking about near the end of the episode. And I am looking forward to reading it over the holidays. And uh, since there might be lots of extra time for reading. Anyways, but I'll leave that for its own year-end roundup episode In the time between recording and release of this episode, there have been a few changes in my world as well. The Wondery Guru podcast did release in the summer, and it was a roller coaster ride as my story and my voice, along with another woman who appeared on an earlier episode named Brandy Amstel. Um, This was quite a significant podcast in the true crime genre. And it is showing up on a lot of the best of lists of podcasts for the year for 2020. And my understanding is it's also been released on Audible. So this journey continues. My own writing continues, although it's been a little bit up and down lately. I needed a break from that and made some changes to the podcast. The podcast is no longer a marketing tool for my coaching. The podcast I am so pleased to announce is now 
now becoming a main thing. It has its own new website at freeyourinnerguru.com. And uh, I'm just about to open up a shop with some really cool conscious swag, starting with notebooks and some apparel. And uh, I have a big vision of this website becoming a place for many sources of wisdom. It's all about learning from many voices and carving your own path. And so I thought it was time to separate it from my own lauratugger.com and really create a platform where there's many voices, not just in podcasts, but also in writing. So there's articles and programs coming up. So come on over to the website, check it out and uh, celebrate its creation. I'm really happy with how it's turned out. And then one other development that I could give it its own episode, but we talked hair and it was three weeks after this was recorded on July 7th that I had my last hair color. And so my hair journey continues. It is a slow, passive transformation and uh, I'm going gray. So you'll see me in the going gray hashtags and in the silver sisters hashtags as I'm sharing that part of the journey on my personal Instagram account mainly. And uh, it's really been interesting in the most unexpected and delightful way, I have to say. So going gray is a thing. I certainly didn't start it, but I am enjoying the journey. Um, I think that catches us up on everything for now. If you've enjoyed this episode, the best form of feedback is a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and come on over to Instagram or Facebook and engage with us there. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Free Your Inner Guru. And if you want to go in more depth with my work, you should check out the Free Your Inner Guru Leadership Community, which you can find at freeyourinnerguru.com and the upcoming Winter of Self-Care Workshop at winterofselfcare.com. I'm Laura Tucker, signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.